Cinderella, funny fella, running amidst the trees. Who's there? I said as I stood in my head, and nobody answered me. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. And this is Jay bringing up the rear. Welcome, Jay, and welcome to everyone else in the <laughs> to the Fringeworthy broadcast. Thank you for joining us this week and every week. We want to tell you that we really appreciate all the comments that have been put up on our boards and various places, and we want you to know that we are ready to answer any questions you have about Fringeworthy. But uh, this particular week, we're going to talk about Fringe Walkers. There's a lot of races in the Fringeworthy game. Uh, this is a new change in the new edition. You see, originally, the Fringe Paths were pretty much of a sterile place where nothing much happened, and they were just a means of getting from one place to another. But then, in the, the 1992 edition, we introduced Fringe Weather. All of a sudden, the Fringe Paths became far more dynamic. Not only was there fringe weather, there was also animals that might collect on various places and even a, a horde of zombies or two. But now, in this latest edition, we now include fringe walkers. And there's a number of races that actually are almost officially fringe walkers. But we're going to say what it is that makes something a fringe walker and why they're out there. John, why don't you tell us something about fringe walkers? There are several fringe walker races that we know of. Slargs, for one, were one of the earlier Fringe Walker races. We later introduced in the D20 book the old men, Neanderthals, who are a Fringe Walker race. After that, we also have the Kegax. The Kegax are another Fringe Walking race because their home world was vaporized. But beyond that, we also have some new races, the old men, the Pangolisks, and the Prupians. Though Prupians technically aren't Fringe walkers, they're just simply mobile plants looking for some place to sell down. What precisely do you mean by fringe walkers? Thank you. Well, a fringe walker is somebody who isn't really associated with any one group. They decide one day to see where this sucker ends. They're walking the fringe paths. They don't belong to any one nation or, or organization. So an unaffiliated individual or group that's just out voyaging on the fringe pass to see what's around that would technically include uh, fringe pirates so you might call fringe pirates fringe walkers but fringe walkers for the most part are non-violent they're out for the sense of adventure and not for any sort of commercial gain and sometimes they form groups and sometimes they don't i think you're pushing it too far john to say that they're non-violent granted some of these races that we're talking about here are non-violent but any race can have fringe walkers assuming that they can have fringe worthy so you have to go down to the motivation. I mean, just like in our own world, there are people who travel to far distance lands to escape something that's happened back in their past. For the very same reason, there could be fringe walkers out there who are trying to escape something terrible 
that might have happened in their own past. Wandering the past like Kwai Cheng King. Yeah. <laughs> I feel as though the best example to use people on the path of, of what we're talking about here is imagine gypsies on the French path or nomads, nomadic tribes yeah. on the French path. Now, kind of with Bruce on the fact that I think that French pirates who, for example, don't have a home base so much, you know, like a traveling band of French pirates could conceivably consider French walkers. They're just a violent type. But at the same time, I would imagine that they would be slightly rare, more rare than, than the benign type, just because of the nature of the business they've chosen to engage in. Because for every big bad out there, there's always a bigger badder. And if you come at people with weapons, they come back at you. So your life expectancy generally gets shorter when you look for conflict. And pirates require a, a certain technological base because they are operating on the fringe pass. And we go to most worlds, and you're going to find out that all the vehicles are operating on electricity. So a French pirate, if he's going to carry around a battle wagon or something like that, he's going to have to have a, a base somewhere. Well, if only to repair and resupply, yeah, he's going to need some stationary point from which to branch out later. Right. But he also needs parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically what we're saying is that French pirates can qualify as French walkers, just not generally, and that's pretty much not what we're going to really focus on tonight. Yeah. If you were to talk to some French walkers, they would definitely say, no, not a pirate. They're, they're not French walkers. They're pirates. Depends on who you're talking to. And some French walkers are there because they got lost. They fiddled with the system, found something like the French train, and got lost. And they're trying to find the way back home. In my own early campaign, uh, we had a uh, fringe walker just like that. It was a Dalek, and it wanted to find its way back to the Doctor Who universe. <laughs> investigate! Investigate! <laughs> and it was very disturbed to find out that it was a narrative character on Earth Prime. <laughs> oh, yeah. I talked about an ego slash, you know. It tried very hard to integrate itself into a team, but uh, ultimately it all ended in tears. How did its Dalek war machine survive on the French Pass? Wouldn't it just like kind of go kaplunk and sit on the platform until I the Dalek was just saying that, yeah. The early description of the Dalek travel machine said that it operated by telekinesis. So even though very little of the Dalek travel machine actually operated on the French Pass, it could still move itself along. Oh, it just couldn't blast you with the disintegrator while it was on the fringe. Probably made him a lot more personable. He was definitely less homicidal. And they are intelligent creatures, so, of course, uh, they are perfectly willing to operate, especially by itself. If there had been a, a one more Dalek there, then I'm sure it might have been a little different. But being the only Dalek there, it, it was more than willing to do that. But it was a walker by, by no choice of its own. By going through the portal and having all of its electronics go through, Funk, it put it into a mental shock and it literally came out of its fugue rolling along the fringe paths and running into an IDEP team member or team group. And they took it back to Earth Prime and that was pretty much all she wrote. It didn't actually have any information on the path that it had traveled over. By my definition, it, it wasn't a fringe walker other than the fact that it had walked the fringes for quite some distance. Yeah, and, you know, and that's not inconceivable because they're supposed to be organic beings on the inside. Once out of the, the, the control of Davros, no reason why it couldn't become a, a workable character. There must have been a really good player that was playing him. Yeah, well, he, he did a great job with him. 
it's going to try to ingratiate itself and get itself into a position of authority, a position of advantage, and then it'll destroy everything. Until then, it minded its P's and Q's very nicely, and that uh, death ray of it was very helpful every once in a while. Oh, sure, sure. Now, where do you guys want to start this? Do you want to start talking about races individually, or do you want to um, talk about the character concept of a fringe walker? I'd rather talk about the character concept first. What is actually a fringe walker and what kind of interactions you would expect to run into with them? Then we can talk about how the different races might deviate from that standard. Yeah, okay, that's cool. The thing I mentioned to Bruce, uh, we were talking about this beforehand, I mentioned that possible future uh, histories for Fringeworthy was Sayuri would go walkabout. She'd leave and disappear on the fringe pass and become a fringe walker. With the fringe walkers I've had, they've almost all of them have gotten what I call the million platform stare, and they don't want to work for, for the IDET anymore. They don't want to work for you need anymore, but they want to stay in the fringe pass. So they go walkabout. They may take as a resigning bonus a crystal key with them just in case, but they just leave. And they're really hard to find because they can hide in lots of places. You can't find them in. My favorite character, French, was the character I played the longest. And in, in our group, he made the highest level, the earlier versions of Fringeworthy. He made it to level seven. I don't know if that's impressive to you guys or not, but it was quite impressive to our group because none of our guys ever made it past that. Six is usually where it tops out. So that is very impressive. Yeah, I actually made it to level seven with this guy. So anyway, I was playing him and he went walkabout, much like you're talking about Sayori, because he got to a point where he wasn't doing it for the money anymore. He didn't like following rules. And he just wanted to go and do missions and do adventures. I was playing, he's, he was an ex-Marine, and he just liked doing missions. He had run into all these problems with IDET because they were always trying to... Ma- and this is the way the, the Game Master was running the session, but IDET always wanted to micromanage everything, and they were always taking all of his cool toys away from him. So anyway, he basically went walkabout, and that was just the way I played the character. He was referred to as a pirate by the people at IDET. But he wasn't what you would consider a pirate because he didn't go and rob and steal from other people. And he walked pretty much by himself for the most part. This was a walkabout character. So it, it fits the fringe walker, like the lone fringe walker. I, I was <laughs> wondering if, I believe John mentioned gypsies. No. Would there be, or whoever mentioned gypsies earlier? Peter did. Ah, would <laughs> there be a culture of fringe walkers like the gypsies or with the Irish travelers? where there are just roving bands of these people and they'll just go from world to world and they'll resupply that way. Oh, we need to get some fruit. Well, we know this Termellan farming world. Oh, we need some gas. Well, there's this urban world here. Would there be cultures like that? There would I almost have to be, given, you know, you've got an almost infinite number of platforms. Yeah. In fact, when we're talking about pocket stops, one of the pocket stops I discussed was founded by a fringe walker. He basically found, he sits with a little trading post and he found a place to sell down finally. He got tired of fringe walking. No, I can see it. Look, think about it like this. If a woman's pregnant and she's carrying a child, so the child automatically becomes fringe ready. So think about the evolution of this. You've got a band of people roving. And when the women get pregnant, 
their children automatically become fringeworthy. So this band continually generates fringeworthy individuals. The band could get quite big, and these people, I could see them, eventually they travel far enough and they completely forget about their home world, just completely gets lost into their own legend. They could camp out on the platforms. It's relatively safe out there. You know, there are wandering things on the platforms, but less than on any world just about. Once they learned enough worlds, they could know where all their supply stuff is. They could utilize the fact that they can go on the underside of platforms. So if they wanted to camp out, they could climb underneath the platform, camp out there, climb back up the other side. In the morning, they would learn all kinds of crazy tricks that your standard travelers wouldn't because they actually live it. Yeah, like bringing up various means of transportation and whatnot, Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, they may have learned the trick of calling the fringe train. Go someplace, make sure you take everything off the train because when you you leave the platform, the train goes bye-bye. See, this is a tool the GMs should absolutely use. You should have your players run into these guys because they make great allies. They, you can trade with them, get information from them. I mean, these guys would carry a wealth of information because they would see all kinds of stuff that was going on, and they would know. You know, they might they might say, well, "Yeah, go down this way." A couple they may not use the words nodes or platforms. They might have a different word for it. But once you figured out what that was, you'd be go down a couple platforms, third door to the right. There's a berry farm or something like that. They would know essential things. I wonder if they might develop some sort of like hobo sign. Apparently the hobos back in the 30s developed oh, sure. a system of a graffiti that they'd put up in places to let other folks who are in uh, on the secret. No, that's a great idea. But don't the fringe pads have like self-cleaning if you mar them after a while they fix themselves? Yeah, but they would keep reestablishing them. And there's other things you could do too. Like you could tie uh, strips of cloth around the pylons. Just put up a stand with a sign on it. Yeah. Yeah. You can hide something. Yeah. You can hide something under the ring itself. Mm-hmm. Put uh, yeah, paint something on a board and leave it near the ring to let others know what they could find through it. You knew it was going to be your guys coming through next. Otherwise, you might want to yeah. establish you know our own hidden way of putting those things in there. And of course, nothing's perfect because you do have fringe storms. I mean, somebody could put up a board and it could get blown off the side. That that's not super. You know, it doesn't happen all the time. And just like hobo signs, you know, their signs didn't stay forever. Nope. You know, they were they might paint something on a barrel and somebody might throw that barrel out. So you're suggesting that there's actually a, a fringe walker culture. I think so. Well, yeah, that that's what I was suggesting because you figure after a while there's safety in numbers. There, yeah, there are lone fringe walkers. But I'm sorry, if you've got fringe weather, you've got fringe pirates, you have all these various Earths sending out explorers, a lot of them aren't going to be friendly. You're going to want to pack together a nomadic band just for mutual protection. Given the size of the of the fringe paths, you're not going to have one answer that's going to fit every single condition. Yeah. Everything you can think of, somebody's going to try somewhere at least once. Yeah. Right, and, and let's not forget, even if these guys are mostly benign, they're not always going to be benign because the French pads are a dangerous place. And yes. these guys are going to be used to that. And much like the hobos, if you mess with a hobo back in the day, you could get cut easily. You oh, know, yeah. They weren't looking to do that to you. And at the same time, the, the game master could decide, well, these guys, they're going to deal with the party, but they're going to be a little desperate because they're, maybe they've had some hard times or whatever. And if the parties put themselves in a position where they could be easily rolled by these guys, they may do it. Now, they may not kill the party, but they might knock them out and take their stuff. Well, yeah, gypsies were reputed to be like that. I'm not going to get into any stereotypes here, but they are reputed. They'll give you a hug and treat you all kind and friendly, but check your wallet. Check your feelings. Yeah, check check your fillings and everything because they'll. It's been reputed that they would steal you blind, but if you do something good for them, they'll adopt you into their culture and you'll have friends for life. 
Yep. Sure. I think a game master. I mean, at this point, I hadn't really. It's, it's great that we're talking about this because I hadn't really put a lot of thought into the whole French Walker concept. I think it's great. I think every game master should utilize these guys at least once in a while. I mean, they make for a really vibrant gaming experience. I think they would add completely add to any campaign. I was going to make mention that a lot of these groups may be wary of groups like Idet and Unita and the Victorians. They may have had past history with groups like that, and they treat them like they're criminals and lock them up or Shanghai them into their own service. It may be that Idet and the Victorians uh, uh, do treat French gypsies like criminals because they're not easily controllable. Yeah, so if they know about the French trend, they find out, oh, there's Idets down the way, that they train and bypass that section of, of the pathways to stay away from groups like Idet and, and the Victorians. Well, and, and think about this. They may be very warranted in that it's quite possible that They've had interactions with Idet where they've had crystals and Idet Idet got a little overzealous and and took them from them. Mm -hmm. Crystals are worth lots. In fact, they're not worth lots. They're they're extremely valuable. They're they're one of a kinds. Yeah, they're they're priceless. They're priceless, yeah. Could you see some major or some some sergeant who notices one of these hippie French pirate types? They've got some high-level crystal. And he's like, you know what? I'm just going to take it. Watch out who he's dealing with. Uh, one of the French workers I created was an ex-Texas Ranger. <laughs> well, well, I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> let's say he's a sergeant. It's an assault team or a search and rescue team. They're very well armed. They're very well motivated. And they come across this band of fringe walkers who are mostly benign, maybe not helpless, but mostly they're like, hey, brother, what's up? This guy sees this crystal on him and just decides to go into action. Maybe they mow him down get the jump on. Well, that could be a gang, too. PCs might be sent out to track down the team that did that and try to make it right. It's not specifically a fringe-worthy game example, but a GM mine in a Star Trek game made up space gypsies. And my character said, come on in, and fed them and resupplied them, and we're very happy with them because they are a beautiful intelligence resource. So somebody who has their brains with it will be going, no, no, these are our good, close friends. We're going to treat them nice. You're not going to find a better way to find out things that you haven't seen on the fringe path yet. Did anyone start singing, Step it out to Eden? <laughs> Yay, brother. <laughs> no, those are space hippies, not space gypsies. Sorry. They're All right. Hippies. Sorry, I get this confused. Well, you got space hobos, and you got, you got fringe hobos, fringe hippies, and fringe gypsies. So, what you have here is a survivor culture where they are traveling. And they expect to run into people that they don't know. Therefore, they're going to have an awful lot of skills in the area of negotiating. In the D20 parlance, a lot of bluff skills, a lot of disguise skills, things like that. Diplomacy, sense motive, gather information, all those prism skills, yeah. I'm not too sure about the diplomacy. I think that's very important, but as far as actually when they run into people... I think they'd be very good, very canny at spotting spotting deception and avoiding being ambushed. That sense motive yeah. and spot, yeah. So more intelligence and charisma and wisdom-based skills would be their forte just because they've had to keep all their senses open. They have to be really good at thinking on their feet and improvising to get out of it when the next batch of commando says, you scruffy band of ruffians don't deserve that crystal. Yeah. Or the French pirates say, you got food, we don't. And, and that's something that was brought up earlier was that 
they're going to be wary of IDET and the Victorians because the IDET and the Victorians, they're going for exploration to help increase the tech level on the world to take care of this or that. Fringe walkers, these nomadic cultures, it's a lot more simpler than that. They're just looking surviving from day to day. We're here to make the fringe safe for democracy. Well, yeah, that's what they're seeing that IDET is. These nomadic fringe tribes are going to be coming up and saying, oh, you're going to make everybody like you guys. No, we like our individuality. We're out here. We're living our way by our rule. Yep. So yeah, when somebody comes in and tries to strong arm them, yeah, they maybe look like this scruffy band of nomads, but... Here's the thing. IDET has their home. The fringe paths are their home. These nomads have the home court advantage. They know all the tricks. They know all the secret doors, back doors, in and out of trouble that most world-based explorers don't know. So they, yep. they're a very canny bunch that you're going to want to watch out for if you cross them the wrong way. You might never actually see the main band. You may just see scouting parties ranging yeah, out too. ahead. Kind of getting off into this world building on these fringe gypsies, these fringe nomad groups, but I'm thinking an individual who manages to survive wandering the fridge path for any while is going to be somebody to take pretty seriously. Mm -hmm. And I think from a GM's point of view, it'd be a wonderful way to, he or she, or it for that matter, Mm -hmm. would be a wonderful way to bring stories to the PCs. Yep. To have them encounter somebody who says, hey, you look like a band of do-gooding, well-armed lunatics. There's a problem over there. Let's go solve it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's also a great way of, of having a person, say you have a friend who's stopping by from Iowa or whatever. He's going to be there for a while. Hey, it's a great way to have him bring a character to your fringe way game for maybe one or two sessions. Yeah. He's playing a fringe walker. And they, they, cool. they get the itchy feet and they want to go someplace. So you know he's, he's not going to be there forever. He's going to be there just as long as he wants to be there. And when he doesn't, he's gone. A way to utilize that is let's say you got a player in your group who, for whatever reason, he can only make it to half or a third of the sessions. Maybe he's got a family or maybe he works crazy hours or whatever. He still likes to play, but he can't make it to every game every week. You could make him a fringe walker and just give him, he basically has the ability to show up when he's needed because that's what he does. He just travels and he walks around and he's, he's a, a vagabond. He just happens to show up when he shows up for that week. So, yeah, a path for an inter intermittent player to to join the team but not really join the team but still be present for the for the game yeah i like that i also like because the fringe walker knows more than pcs at the beginning of the idet cycle because he knows more he can be kind of a merlin for them and say watch out for this world that has this kind of traps or especially bringing problems to the attention of the pcs going i was looking for somebody to help me out here's a small village that's about to be attacked by gun-toting bandit samurai Something else that you could use the fringe walker for, or walkers. Let's say you want to introduce new tech into the game. Piecemeal, not just dump it. This guy walking the fringe paths has this device, or I mean something, not fringe tech, it could be from another world, that he has it. It could be something, if you wanted to integrate that into a game, take it, try to find out where he got it from and take it back uh, Hatsumi to have them reverse engineer or at least check it out. I mean, that's another good way to use a fringe walker in your campaign. Yeah, or they can introduce different concepts or, or technologies. One thing we tossed around during the development of D20 was the concept of, well, you have the pylon. The pylon 
pylon surface. And I looked at that and said, those are idiot lights. That's not what Tremelo would usually use to see what's going on in the air side of that platform, of that portal. And I came up with the idea, you can access a function where you now get the better than idiot lights. You actually get dials and readings and so forth on that pylon. How do you get to those readings? Well, maybe some of the French walkers have figured that one out. So they actually can get more information what's going on on the other side of that platform and know which ones are really are really dangerous to go to and which ones aren't. What we did with our group was we had a holographic keyboard that flew out from the uh, pylon for those who could access it. There's also the possibility that some of these people who are fringe walkers are actually from fringe-enabled worlds where they have technology that actually does work on the fringe paths and it could just automatically be accessible to them as, as a normal function of some of their so-called implants. Also, don't forget, so these fringe walkers may also be incredibly old. I was talking about Texas Ranger who was born in 1892 and he's still walking the fringes in uh, 1980 so, or 1984. So he was still walking the fringes in that time. You remember that the pathways do give you extended lifespan. That's what continued fringe travel. Yes, it yeah. would. After 90 year may have only aged 40. No, not even that. It's 1 to 20. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, you could be 2,000 years old by the time you're 100. There's some fringe workers out there who were in the Commonwealth. Right. That's a good point. And they know about some of the tricks. So you could have, uh, what we were talking about before, about having that, that roaming band of fringe walkers, they're probably all very, quite old, most of them. Yeah. And quite young. They actually would probably be both. Again, with so many different possibilities, you're not going to have the same answer for all of them. It may be that a band of people got got shipwrecked next to a portal and a few of them could make it through and and wander through the portal and kept going, trying to find something better than what they had and formed a a fringe nomad tribe. And it could be that Mm -hmm. your next band of uh, fringe nomads was an intelligence team that has been out for way too long learning about the fringe paths. And it could be that the next one is a group of survivors from the war who have been on the move ever since trying to find how to undo things and how to make things better and how to try to get back on top of the war. Yeah, I would imagine that some of the old men, when they were character races, would probably fall into that region of being there. They were in the war, and they're out there walking. Now, remember the war we say is a thousand years ago. That's about where the majority of the, the action stopped. Technically, the war hasn't ended. It's still going on, just that it's now in a very, very, very slow state right now because of the, the lockdown of the pathways from the Miller. So it's more of a Cold War right now, then? Yeah. No, it's more of a... The, the fringe paths themselves keep the war from moving easily from one place to another. Kill all your fringe-worthy uh, army, and what do you have to fight your war with? Okay, yeah. That was one of the main reasons why they turned on the fringe-worthy filter, was to keep people from warring across the fringe pass. So you, you could go on to a, a world, and you could find two groups of people that were warring with each other, that were from the old Commonwealth, and they were still doing it 2,000 years later, or 1,000 years later. 80% of the Commonwealth worlds were destroyed during the first year of the Mellor War. So everything yeah. was pretty much in ruins, and before they could, could start striking back, and then you got your boom and burst ever since. So what the GM wants to do as far as dealing with the old Commonwealth is up, is up to him or her. But I pretty much in most cases see them as kind of either falling into ruin and waiting for the great god Tamalerns to come back and bring back the golden days again or they just moved on and they're just living their lives in in whatever world they're on so what do we have race wise we've got four races that we know are universally fringeworthy and they are the kigak the slarg 
the uh, old men, I'm sorry, five, the Brupians and the Pangalists. And I know that there are other fringeworthy races because as a GM, I can make them up. But whenever you do that, then of course, you're really changing a huge dynamic. Once you have a race that can bring massive amounts of personnel onto the fringe paths, you've created an enormous power center that's going to reach out and start controlling the areas around it, possibly for hundreds of nodes. That's one reason not to do that, unless you know that the race is completely peaceful and easygoing like the Blizznets. But back to your original question, the Slarks. Yeah, the Slarks are a failed weapon versus the Meller. I don't really know that they know this. You know, we talked about this during the design of the new game, and we said, well, do they know that they are? I think that some of them do. It may be that some of that knowledge is actually hidden and triggered, but I think that most of them just simply, after a thousand years, they're just out there living on the French pass, and they don't know their history any more than most Afro-Americans know their individual tribal history in Africa. Mm-hmm. They're constructs. Right. Yep. Right. So they do not have a home world, never have. I think you kind of hit it on the head with the whole Kwai Chang Kane concept. And I think that pretty much embodies the whole idea of the old men. They just travel along. And as I asked Richard, I said, how do these guys survive out there? They're just kind of out there by themselves. And he's like, well, you know, they just go along. And every once in a while, someone drives by and they stick their thumb out and people give them a lift. For some reason, they just don't feel like they need to take advantage of these old guys. Which, of course, makes me very suspicious because what is this, some kind of be, be my friend field around these guys that you haven't told us about? You're listening to the Fringeworthy Podcast. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern. The old men are basically a former Commonwealth race. They're Neanderthals, and they're out, probably is a Neanderthal homeworld, or more than one. But the old men are the ones that basically went out there and decided to do, well, go fringe walking. And we call them old men, but they come in both sexes, so there's some old women, too. Some of them are quite well, young. The old, the old women never make it to the fringe paths. That's in the <laughs> they, they don't, it's the men that do the walking. Oh, right. What? Yeah. Right. Well, they do have a bonus of plus six to their strength. So that, that does make them very strong, but that doesn't in any way make them giants hiding in small form. You know? Well, if you see a picture of them, they actually have boopkis in terms of stuff to steal anyway. Everything's handmade. They're wearing skins for crying out loud. Maybe a baseball cap, but they're wearing skins for crying out loud. There's nothing to steal. I wouldn't put it past Rich to go ahead and yeah, have them be a psionic people who are just going, I, I'm not the victim you're looking for. He's not right. the victim we're looking for. They have some kind of pheromone or something that triggers a protective nature about them or something. Well, they're also the Neanderthals. And if I remember correctly from studies, Neanderthals also basically could, my size and weight, could probably break your arm without even thinking about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. They were short, stocky, and very strong. Yeah. So yeah. they looked like they could break somebody in two. So nine times out of ten, unless there was massive firepower involved, most people are going to look and say, nice old guy. Nice, stocky old guy. We'll leave him alone. Yeah. Yeah. You absolutely can play them, but that's a GM decision. They're statted out like any other player character. But as soon as you have a player who gets their hands on one of these things, that's the first thing he's going to say. Well, how much do they know? Do they know any secret functions? Is is there any knowledge that I have that nobody else knows? And your GM's going to be like, oh, 
what have I done? Now I've got to do all this, got to give this enormous backstory to this race that wasn't there before when he was just under my control. No, basically they're fire plugs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that still doesn't make him that bulletproof, especially if you're a fringe pirate and carrying around the heaviest gun. They are also a walking version of the little old man, little Asian man with the broom. Yeah, that, they know all the tricks. If, they, if, yeah. if they've been walking all this time and they are much older than they seem, oh, you know they know all the back doors and, and whatnot, where uh, if they don't want to be found, they, don't want to be, they won't be found. Maybe they know about the uh, underside of the underside of the paths and the alternate routes and things like that, too. Yes, exactly. Remember, the crystal powers, the only powers that are in the book, the ones that we know about. You're a fringe power. You see the old man. You pull, you pull a gun on him. He pulls his crystal out and turns the gravity off. Whoops. Well, then we, but then we got to bring this down to the, the player level as well because they're totally NPCs. You cannot play them. If I was going to run it, what I would do is I would say that this is part of their culture where they go and they take their, their young men who are about to go into their adulthood and put them onto a French train and take them out a couple thousand platforms and, and say, okay, now when you find us, then we can share. But until then, there, you have nothing to say and let them go. <laughs> and, so, and at which point they can run into the IDED team and say, well, uh, I don't know anything about anything because I'm not from around here. That's, that's playing them as a, as a PC. I think they're probably a lot more effective as an NPC race. Yeah, you're not going to give them to a beginning player. That just, oh, no. Gotcha. Okay. That's for the old man and the experienced fringe walker. It doesn't mean that's the only kind there is. Absolutely. If you're going to give one to a PC, then I'd say this is not somebody who's privy to all the ancient secrets. This is somebody who's working himself up in that direction. Or maybe he's a young fringe walker. He's 24-year-old old man. You know, yeah. He's just started. Not yet old enough yet to be in, indoctrinated into the secrets. So he's a not-so-old man. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, he's not-so-old man. I hate to say this, to do them right, because everyone's doing with nice, deep voices. Unfortunately, the Neanderthals, the way that I pointed this out, and this is actually backed up with some archaeological evidence, anthropological evidence, they would talk like this in a higher-pitched voice, not a deep voice. If I did that voice for my character, and I've done a voice like that for a character for a while, and uh, all my fellow players wanted to kill me. Besides, you know, maybe they're from an alternate form of Neanderthal that had the deep uh, James Earl Jones' voice. I mean, the hyoid bone is lower in, the, in their throat because the problem is that their voice box is too high up in their throat for a deep voice. That's true. I remember reading that they were very good singers because they had a whole oral tradition of songs and chants and whatnot. Yeah. They might have multi-tonal voices where they can do low, high, in-between, and switch at will just because they have this rich vocal history. Some humans used to be able to do that, and that used to be part of human culture before writing, too, is this insane, deep memory filled with all sorts of stuff because they didn't have any books. So, yeah, it's not unusual. It would not be out of line to assume that the uh, that the old men had that kind of cap- capability, too. So we got we got the old men. We got the slarks that we've talked about. Um, remember, now we have it. Slarks are scavengers, and they have a scavenger-style memory, scavenger-style society. Hindrances in, in D20, I would say that they are greedy. Unfortunately, they are pathologically afraid, so it doesn't matter. You can't intimidate them. Well, you can. If you got a gun in your hand and you say you're going to shoot them if they run, then they'll probably not run. And they basically, they like the soft life. They would never turn up a dead carcass for lunch. So, <laughs> so are you saying that if you've never owned a dog, you should probably not be playing a slarg? No, no, if you've never owned a hyena. And the, the things that you describe sound like my dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have, you, uh, 
have you ever had somebody run a slarg PC in one of your games? Yeah, John. Play slarg. Yeah, John. <laughs> John. John is our local slarg. Yeah, but they're also highly curious. They're, they're, as you said, they're greedy, they're fun-loving, they're pleasure-loving. So they're hedonistic, but that also means they get them into trouble that they have to run away from. So they're constantly bringing trouble back to the party. Oh, that was that was classic. As I said, <laughs> I was between face-palming and just laughing out loud with that whole thing. That sounds like <laughs> a lot of fun. The first time we ran into danger, what happened? He ran out, ran back through the portal. What did my get back here? <laughs> I don't have to outrun the danger. I just have to outrun you. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Don't say, "What are you running from, boy?" And he'll he'll yeah. point back, and then he'll then something come running out after you, and he'll be pointing at you. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing, Bruce. If they're always scared, they're pre-intimidated, so the work's kind of done for you. Basically, I treat the slargs as being highly amoral. Not immoral, but amoral in regards to anything having to do with their safety. But any otherwise, they are. I would say that they are very kind-hearted, but they're hard to be around. They they really are. They they have tremendously bad table manners. They're destructive. It's they're hedonists. Yeah. This is a creature that is as big. This is a dog that is as big as a man. Yeah. Okay. And and I have a lab, and I can tell you right now that we couldn't have anything nice in the house while we had that puppy, okay? Unless we, we had to seal him off from areas of the house so he wouldn't destroy everything in sight. And slargs are the same way. Yeah, if you see a slarg running, you better start running yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, look what I did. Aren't I a good boy? Yeah, and slargs are just the same way. Right. <laughs> they did it, yeah. I'll ask the slarg what we're running from when we get there. Yeah. Right, so now go ahead and take that same animal and make it big enough that it can make you play with it. And let it talk, yeah. <laughs> Food so, meant to be enjoyed. You say, you say, hi, puppy. He wags his tail, yeah, and the room yeah. is half destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I had a hundred, hundred and ten pound German Shepherd, and <clears throat> it was pretty much the same way. He was all he cared about was food and getting attention and playing. And when I hear how slogs are, I'm thinking, well, Rich must be a dog owner because this sounds... No, 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 no. He's got cats. They're not mutually exclusive. I have dogs and yeah. cats here where I live. Yeah, yeah I was, I was just going to say that he's he, he got down what a dog is like in a lot of ways and then let it talk. I, We're talking personality slogs here, not really how they are as fringe walk. I went into a new group one day, walked into this guy's uh, gaming room, beautiful setup. His dog walked up to me stood up on his hind legs, put both forepaws on my shoulders and looked down into my face, <laughs> sniffed my nose and decided that I would do and turned around and walked away while I tried really hard not to pee myself. It was a wolf cross. And, oh my God. You start roughhousing with that guy. It's not over till he thinks it's done. Yeah. Now, just a curiosity, just a question I've, I've had that I just remembered that I'd had over the years. Slargs can't see, you know, because they're, they're they blind. They have vision, but they vision, have right. Is that a defense against the Meller because they can't be deceived by their appearance? They have echolocation, just like dolphins do. I think it's just something that Rich gave them just to be funny, or not not to be funny, but just a creative effect. Or do you think there was a purpose behind that in that that was one less weapon the Meller could use against the Slark? We tossed this around D20 Development Talk that maybe this sonar scan is good enough that they actually can do a deep scan inside you. They know what you had for lunch. And we did point out that Meller 
have a tiny core that's still them, and they can potentially scan for that core and see it. Yeah, now I wasn't buying that, guys. That was just something that was tossed out there, and yeah. I think that's given way too much power to... I don't like nerfing the Meller. If you read my post recently, you can see that I don't like to nerf the Meller. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the... Yeah, uh, that. Okay. Well, no, here's something about Meller. Can they change their scent? Sure. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. They can? Oh, they're all in shape changers. When they change, it's pretty much everything. Okay, because I figured the reason why they made the slargs with just such ridiculously high senses to compensate for blindness was because Mellor could not change their scent, and therefore a slarg could go, that's not what he is. Although there is the sickening sweet smell that they might pick up. Only if they're bleeding. They pick it up before other people. Only, but. Right. No, I'm just saying, if you're in a Meller-infested area, say there's more than one, Slarg might pick up on it quicker than a regular person because he might pick up on that scent and he would know, oh, wait a minute, we have a problem here. Yeah. As he's running away. What happened to the Slarg? He left. Okay, I'm leaving too. Why? <laughs> I don't know what he's running from, but I don't want to find out the hard way. Yeah. Now, you have to understand that the Slarg was designed as a combat creature. Okay, yep. you see his blindness as being a, a, as an impediment. No, it's not. Daylight, nighttime, it's all the same to the slarg. It sees perfectly well. It just can't see through transparent materials. But yeah, John's thing about, okay, we're in the car. What do you see? I see four solid walls around me and a seat below me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But that's the only time. If he's out in the open, he's got a huge advantage over you. He can see through grass. Okay, the things that block your sight, he can see through curtains, he can see through fog, smoke. All that, adding the additional senses that he has, he is a combat monster, except for the fact that he absolutely refuses to engage in combat. So as a scout, he's absolutely wonderful. Except he's afraid to go out first. Yeah. funny. Well, I don't know. Well, you know, but still, the point is that he has an early warning system, you're not going to beat him. As you said, when you see the slar get nervous... Listen to the slarg. What's the slarg saying? Start cocking your firearms. Take that safety off. I think we could get the slarg to do scouting. Just tell them that we saw a dead body over there, and it's up for eating if he can find it. So, yeah, but then there's if you get the slarg, it's a little smart. you be like, wait a minute, what killed it? There you go, yeah. <laughs> but we should move on to... Well, we should uh, move on to race that cause all the problems. There you go. The Kegak. Well, the Kegak are the race that, as it was put very well, this was another client-manufactured race, except that what they did was is that they uplifted them to intelligence, and then they left them alone for 90,000 years. And they said, let's see what they do with themselves. And so they did quite a bit with themselves. And then the Commonwealth shows back up again, the researcher, and says, oh, very good, good job. And, and they find out that there's some project, their intelligence is, is a project that got its funding, and that's the only reason they exist. Unlike human beings think of themselves as being created by God for some noble purpose, that God loved us and wanted us to be, or we clawed our way up out of the, the muck and mire, out of the dint of our intelligence, and the fact that we're better survivors than anything else. No, they were created at the whim of, of some researcher in the Commonwealth, every choice about themselves, their hair color, their size, their dentation. This was all somebody's choice. And they probably don't agree with that choice. So they have an inferiority complex that is pathological. And along with that inferiority complex comes a huge need 
for compensation in the in rage and payback. And what was the best choice? Why the Tamelan's other race, the Meller. And what was it? Miller means Miller means beloved children. Beloved children, right? And this, of course, was the one a, uh, Abel and Cain situation. Here's the Meller. They're the good brother. They're the one that everyone respects. They're the ones that do the job, and they never cause any trouble. Yeah. We're someone's lab experiment. Yeah, we're somebody's lab experiment. We're the, pe- the Petri dish experiment. Nobody cares about us, so they decide to pee on that, that parade. And how. <laughs> and, and by so doing so, they, they destroyed the Commonwealth and, and destroyed the, the Tamellern's reputation and ultimately got their own world destroyed. So they were pretty effective on getting things destroyed. Yeah, I would say destroyed was probably not a proper term. It just simply made to go away. It's probably more correct. We, we don't say what, what happened. I don't think it was done dispassionately. No. You know, whatever was done. Slowly. I, I don't know how it was done, but their world was destroyed, and the few that remained were, were scattered across the fringe paths. And, and anyone who knows, and of course, a thousand years later, how many people really do know, this, most of this knowledge, of course, has been lost in time. Although the Kegaks themselves, I'm sure, do know, some of them, and this is knowledge that they're passing down very religiously, that they were the ones who brought the uh, Tamellor and Lowe, and they were the ones who were the actual, the, the, the most powerful race on the fringe paths by, by their own definition. But the point is, they are wanderers now. They have to be. They are welcome nowhere who know them, and I think their very natures keep them from socializing in large groups and forming nations. Though they could, I mean, they were. They had their own world. They had their own nations and such, but I think it's just the fact of if they have knowledge of their past, I think it's kind of a, a moral burden that they carry with them, that uh, we can't be good because of all the things we've done bad kind of concept. Yeah. Though I think there are some are trying. I would say not all of them are bad, and I would have to want to say that probably not all the key gags are in on the deal. Probably are some key gags out there who are really trying, trying to make up for what happened. Just trouble is that no one who knows about the key gags in their history trusts them any farther they can throw them. Yeah, and if they do know, how are you going to convince them that you've changed? Or you're not like those other Kegaks that are bad and cause the destruction of trillions, quadrillions of people? Yeah. Or, or perhaps you just don't give a crap. It doesn't matter. It's like, I don't care if you've changed. You you almost die. Some people don't care about redemption. Yeah. It, it's a matter of, yeah, that's nice, but you um you still need to die. If you think about all the worlds that were destroyed and the, the fact that this that the Commonwealth was destroyed and the whole big system collapsed and it affected everything. It was out might of petty be, jealousy. Might be a game in there. The, have the PCs put in the position of, okay, now you know the Kegak did it. Here are some Kegak who are saying, no, 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 me change, me change, me change. Yeah, that wasn't me. That was my great, 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 great grandfather. And we didn't even like him. Yes. And, See, and, you, you and got somebody it. else coming down the throat going, no, every Kegak goes. See, that, that's a good moral quandary there if you want to throw out your players about the Kegak. Absolutely. Are the sons going to suffer for the sins of the father? I was just thinking that, yeah. you know, do you you punish people who have done nothing for the sins of their great-grandfather or great-great-great-great-grandfather? It's one of those cool things where you could put the characters on the uh, point of a question. Sins of the fathers or trillions of dead people? As a matter of fact, from everything I'm reading about Idet, I could foresee you know, maybe a good adventure arc being you have a group of Kiyak who are looking for a place to live 
and Idet takes them in, and then another group approaches him and say, hey, you're taking in these people who ruined everything. And then they're like, no, no, that wasn't us. That was our forefathers. We didn't do that. Or that was a different right. faction. We weren't even involved with this. I could see Idet taking the, those Kigak's side, and then it creating a huge rift amongst some other ally of theirs perhaps that they've made or a potential ally that could be a good long story arc if i were to do that that would be a later campaign not even a mid campaign i no, would do no, that it would have a, to be later yeah i would do that as a later campaign arc yeah there's another thing there to look at too my reading of the book sort of implied that the kegak were inherently bad had an inherently bad attitude it was genetic and they couldn't control it and so the gm has to sit down with himself and say okay what's the nature of being a person and what's the nature of being sentient and can the kegak actually not be the creepy little guys they come off as in the book <laughs> or is it built into them to be just little green dicks well <laughs> i see if they're kind of because over you know finding out about we were what? And so, yeah, that got them angry. But I don't think it was a genetic quirk. I think it was just culturally they learned and realized how little they were regarded. And it's like, oh, you're just checking up on us now after we've been through world wars and all sorts of ecological disasters and finally raised ourselves on road. And now you want to say, oh, by the way, we've been watching you all the time. Yes. It was worse than that. There were at least a word to old Miller on the key gag world watching them. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, and then these Mellor come up and say, oh, by the way, yeah, you were made by this group. And the Kegak, after a while, would just be incredibly angry. So I don't think it would be genetic. I think that would be, that's a whole nurture versus nature thing, and nurture would win in that regard. That's another question for the game to throw up in front of the players and watch them argue about for half an hour. Yeah, and don't forget, some fringe-walking Kegak, well, they get the lung devy treatment, too. You may actually have some Kegak who were around during the war. They pulled the trigger, yeah. Or they may be dissidents who who tried to avoid the whole thing. Both of those are possible. It is without question that this was not common knowledge on their planet, that they were doing this. It would have gotten out. This was a black project that was authorized at the highest levels of the Kegak, whatever their government was. So the entire race based upon this was an act that is not justifiable under the laws of the Commonwealth by any sense. It really is almost a sea change of the fact that the Commonwealth had in fact disintegrated that they could even do this. When the Kiak found out that they were a made race lab project, what happened to any of the Kiak religions that have been around? They're gone. Basically, it's collapsed. There's a, there'd be a major cultural collapse in several sectors of that of I, the Kiak I world. Don't, I don't know if I would buy that entirely because th- I think there would be Kiak who simply wouldn't believe it. You'd say, yeah. no, no, you weren't made by great Kiak in the sky. You were actually made by these fuzzy bear guys who kind of threw you in a corner and forgot about you. they go, yeah, screw you. I believe in the mighty Kiak in the sky, That's regardless. True. But uh, I also have a Kiak in my head. How many Turmellor does it take to change a light bulb? We don't know. They abandoned it. They haven't come back yet. <laughs> if they are racially bothersome in that way, that's okay because that means that they have a, a coping mechanism that allows them to be that annoying to each other and still procreate and, and create cultures. So just because you don't have personally like 
that kind of behavior uh, doesn't mean that it does isn't workable as a society. Yeah, so there are some definite issues there for for GM. This, you know, this is is like saying, oh, look, they're Germans; they must all be Nazis. No, they weren't all Nazis. Yes. Yeah, then you get into whole stereotyping thing, and that might set off people too. Is that something you got to kind of watch in a game? Yeah, into quote unquote stereotype. What you're going to have is that when you run into Kegak, the Kegaks are always going to be playing the victim card because that is one of the things that they do well. They, they, they convince people that they're running from something or there's bad people after them. People have been spreading terrible lies about them and so on and so forth. And if you buy into that, which you probably would, then they're all friendly and they cuddle up to you and stuff like that. And that doesn't mean that necessarily that's that's bad, but... What we're suggesting is is that they have an inherent moral flaw that when the chips are down, they're not going to, unless you want to play a heroic Kigak, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot wrong with that, but in a fun way. <laughs> they're going to fall to this kind of a, a racial behavior where they're going to cut and run if they feel threatened because they see themselves as victims, and that's what victims do. Hasn't IDET given the refugee Kigax a certain world, say, well, okay, we have this world set aside, you can be here? I think that was a plan. They were talking about that. I think that's what they said. We will find you a world and we'll put you on there and it'll be your world and that, and you can rebuild your society and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, great. Thank you very much. If they are aware of their own culture, then they're probably always going to be afraid that one day the human beings or IDED are going to discover their real background was. So the first thing they're going to do when they get their new world is they're going to start arming to the teeth because they're going to be waiting for the day when the humans come rolling through with tanks and missiles to try to destroy them because everybody else tries to destroy them once they find out what they did. I'm not worried about that. Let me tell you what I'm worried about. I'm worried about the day they find out we're good. <laughs> okay, you're playing off the chicken aspect, and they do look like little chickens, don't they? Yeah. I will never eat chicken shack the same again. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> maybe yes, maybe no, but a redneck with some barbecue sauce. So they're always waiting for the sky to fall. But anyway, so they have good reason to be fringe walkers. In a sense, their nature, unless, of course, you're playing against type, forces them to abandon where they are and keep moving. Range runners. Sorry, I'm going to stop that. I can't go on with that. It, it gets too good on me. Okay. It doesn't mean that they can't be somewhat endearing. I mean, let's the, the, say, what's the term? When obsequious? Yes. Yeah, I think that's what, what? That's how I would play them. Well, we call that, up here, we call that sucking up. But yeah, I think that would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what they're like. They're, they suck up to the point where you're suspicious of them because they suck up so well. They're a bunch of worm tongues. Yes, exactly. Very much so. Thank you, John. Yes, very good analogy. Thank you. Well, that's what we tell the females. <laughs> Dude. Or, or Benny from The Mummy. Oh, right. yeah. Oh, love Benny. Benny was so good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Benny's a key gag. <laughs> yes, Benny is a key gag. Absolutely. Yes, I'm going to kill you like I haven't heard that before. <laughs> right. I'm waiting for Jay to start up with, we've got all the horses. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's the key gag. Oh, but now we have a fast food restaurant. So that right, so that brings us to the. I don't know. Some of it's funny, man. <laughs> okay, so that brings us to the Brupians, which is the one of the two newest races added in this edition of Fringeworthy. Those guys look totally cute to me, but I have no idea how to characterize them. Well, same here. I'm just looking at them, going, okay. Well, you got to remember that Brupians are baby tree houses. They're just looking for someone to, to accept them and take and take them in. 
and had a nice piece of loam someplace where they can sell down and turn into a treehouse. You mean a Termelon tree, like a Termelon treehouse? Yes. Um, how did they communicate this to their prospective new owners? Do they just walk up and hug its leg until he gets a message? How does that work? They follow you around until they find out where you live, and then they plant themselves. They'll change color just before they're ready to plant. I have some sort of vegetative stalker here. Yes, absolutely. Yes, but I think he's a plant. <laughs> like we said. Oh, oh, R. <laughs> we don't really have a whole lot to work from based on their description. Essentially, they're like a good man Friday. and They don't communicate. So they're basically, their job is to walk around and be your uh, fetch and carry. Yeah, that's all they do is group. Yeah. But they also do carry useful uh, artifacts that they picked up along the way. So, in a sense, you could mine <laughs> Brupians for quite a few interesting objects. The problem is they can't tell you. Oh, now there's a game I just don't want any part of. <laughs> but they, they can't tell you what they are because they don't communicate effectively. Uh, once they do turn into a real Tamelaran tree, then, of course, then they are much better at communicating. But uh, <laughs> I don't really have a lot to tell you because, as you see here under the personality and views, it's all brute, 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 brute. So uh, They're an NPC race because I don't see a player playing a treehouse. No, I, these definitely would not be... But you're going to find them wandering. They will be wandering along the fringe paths, rarely but occasionally. They're, I would say that if you are going to play them, that their number one skill in the D20 system would be sense motive. If they feel like you're a good guy, then they're going to start following you. That's all there is to it. And they won't, they won't ask for anything more than they need. And they entertain themselves by talking to each other. They don't, even, they don't need anything. So they're just there. My big issue with them is you see this little humanoid pod-shaped thing, waving little arms and, and walking towards you. Well, About 50% of my players would just blow it away right out, right on GP. What is that? You don't know. Blam! Examine yeah. the dead body. <laughs> it can't hurt yeah. anyone. See, that's... Uh, well, no, I mean, if, if they pick up on people's emotional states, well, that plays into the whole thing with, they say, you sing to your plants or you play certain types of music and it helps them grow. I'm sure all of you have heard this. That's just extrapolating on that idea. If they sense good people, they'll follow the good people. If they sense bad people, they'll stay away from them. And again, these Brupians have probably been around on the fringe paths long enough, walking the paths... That they would know if they have access to a crystal key. They know all the little ins and outs about how to I, not be seen. Right. I don't remember the write-up specifically. Does it say how long they remain in this motile seed form before they actually plant? Do they have like a limited life as a seed or no. do they just go until they find a good place? Exactly. It's until they decide it's, it's a good time. But you're right, Trav. What do you, these guys, they'd be watching you. They'd be hiding from you. They wander along until they see people traveling on the fringe paths and then they're going to start surreptitiously watching, doing that sense motive. And once they think that they have an idea of what you're like, then they'll come up and go wandering up to you. I think the homicidal characters would probably be exhibiting other types of aggressive behavior towards each other that they would pick up on and they would say, no, these aren't the kind of people we want to hang around with. Back into the leafy stalker thing there. They hide and watch you until they know they like you. Okay. Yeah. Right. Gordon Carmen yeah. has one. It's growing in a, there's a tree growing in Brooklyn. Yes, and, and they write bad poetry oh, and they even put up pictures on Facebook and Oh <laughs> So he says he says, Sir, we have just translated what that thing was saying and it was um it's a, it's a poem. It's a Oop. I am a root. <laughs> I am a tree thing. 
I imagine once they turn into a house tree, they develop a, a psionic link with their owner. With anyone else, you just talk through scent. But with the owner, they talk to the owner. If you don't live here, you're not going to live anywhere else. Yeah. And the thing is, if you think about where the brooms come from, they come from old Miller worlds where there's a lot of tree houses. So if you go to some place where there's a tree house forest, there's a bunch of little brooms everywhere in that place because the tree houses come in both sexes. I'm sorry. The, tr- the tree houses come in threes. Yes. There's three of them, okay? So three of them make a tree. So that's what we're talking about here. So, yeah. So what do tree houses look like on a Miller? Do the uh, Termellern tree tree houses, do they have an open-ended lifespan, or do they age out and die eventually, too? There's no information on that. That's up to the GM to decide. Yeah. Okay. So- I pretty much had them live in thousands of years, so it's not really an issue. I was thinking, because looking through the portal books, you're seeing tree houses that are still functional after thousands of years, so easily you know that these tree houses exist for millennia. Yes. Okay, yeah. so, so you go into a Tremelin world where it's been abandoned, but the, all the tree houses are there. They're all lined up in nice shady avenues and everything, waiting for their owners to come. Oh, no, we're talking Tremelin. They're not in avenues. They're, they're wherever they wanted them to plant. Right. So it's more like a forest. But it would show the signs of having had been at one time inhabited. Oh, yeah, they, they would have habitational space inside of them. What does a tree house do when its owner leaves and leaves and doesn't come back? I imagine it does what they did at the end of I Sing the Body Electric. They just sing songs to each other about their owners and how much they love them and wish they come back. They pine away. They pine away. You need to leave that stuff alone. (laughs) Oh, switch to another branch. Oh. I can see our, our uh, subscribers dropping by the second. Ah, <laughs> yeah, funny. Oh, think about it, though, because there's probably a few of these worlds where the trees have mutated. Therefore, the Brupians would be mutated also. So you wonder about Brupians are not are not homogenous, um, very different. Some Sermons like trees. I would imagine that Schmertz tree is more like a giant baobab, a humongous baobab tree, where some others may actually, the tree looks more like a copse of trees instead of like uh, one single tree. They may all be very different trees, and so some of the Brupians have different flavors, so to speak. That would stand to reason if the Termellern made a base Brupian plant species i'm trying to remember phylum i think it is mm-hmm. and they throw them all on these different worlds yes you have the nature component then you have the nurture component of like okay what environmental factors over time are going to change these brupians yeah so yeah they are going to be different but that'll be most likely due to whatever world they're put on now the termellon could have just tweaked them just for you know s and g it's okay we're going to make this group purple we're going to make this group purple with green polka dots and just did it from there. So, yeah, there are going to be differences, but I don't think the vast differences are going to come into play until environmental factors come into play, i.e. whatever on that world would change them over time. Well, don't forget, to, to Mellon, we're highly competitive. There is no standard house tree. There are as many different house trees as, as there are to melons. They may have all fell into the same concept. Or we make these Brupian things, and they'll be nice and happy. And They're all different. If you look at the DNA, they're different. This one Tremelon clan created these pine tree-looking house trees. This one over here created palm style, and they're different trees. They literally are different stock, and they may use Brupians for some of these. Some of them may not use Brupians. We're just saying that the Brupians are a one variety of house tree. Okay. All right, so we pretty much burned Brupians into the ground. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we can see that the Fringe Walkers come in a variety of different shapes, colors, and sizes of groups. And they all have different techniques for survival. 
And so the GM has a lot of options when they want to bring a fringe walker. Don't be afraid of them. They're not as smart or, or as uh, omniscient as they like people to think they are. Uh, they're just as afraid as the uh, IDIT team members are. And a little bit of negotiation and diplomacy goes a long way. That and also fresh fruit and chocolate, uh, <laughs> just like people in our world. Feel free to add them to your fringe campaign. Make sure that you look ahead to see what their long-term effects are going to be and w because they're going to be carrying a lot of information with them from all kinds of different places, which would be great adventure hooks, but also means that those places sooner or later uh, are going to have to be accounted for and they may change your uh, campaign. So treat them with as much seriousness as you do the rest of your campaign. That's all we have for now, but we'll have more next week. So until then... This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. This is Jay. Keep it simple. The players are going to complicate it for you. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun.